Mr. Robot Season 4, Episode 9, 409 Conflict is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. This is the Mr. Robot Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. Uh, something wrong, old sport, old buddy, old pal Antonio Mazzaro. Josh, I'm out on foreplay. Let's skip ahead to that part, uh, the other part. We've never been drunk together, Antonio. It's not going to happen <laughs> anytime soon for myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But oh my God. All right. Well, we're coming to you uh, a, a little while later than we typically like to here on the Mr. Robot Podcast. We appreciate you all accommodating our schedules. I think we basically just had to calm ourselves down from uh, leaping up in the air, hands out in the air. It happened. It happened. It happened. Style. Uh, hero nakamura style yata we did it uh the 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 greatness has arrived uh the great christmas miracle of 2015 antonio the nissan versa if you will (laughs) yeah yes it is here it happened we went from it's happening to it happened in the context of four seasons of mr robot i think that's pretty awesome it was a great episode that we could say that about every episode of this season, really, just bangers after bangers after bangers. This is certainly no exception, but I think represents a significant milestone for the show, obviously. And we also then tack that beginning scene onto it, and then we oh, take the man, price off yeah. the board. There's a lot going There's on. There's a lot going on here. Of course, uh, if, you have, if you have not subscribed to this podcast feed already, we strongly advise that you do so. We've got a few more episodes coming up, even though it kind of feels like show is over, or at least I wouldn't be so mad if the show was over at this point, because it would be ending on a victorious note. But we still have a few more hours left to go here in the final season of Mr. Robot, so subscribe to the podcast, postshowrecaps.com slash mrrobot iTunes for our Apple feed, but you can find us however you get your podcasts and you can interact with us on the Twitter machines. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio's at AC Mazzaro. How many Z's? How many R's? Two Z's, one R, although I will say Philip Price told me to destroy the Twitter machine. Uh, he did tell you to destroy the Twitter he machine. Made he made you promise. He made you promise. Yeah. Uh, great, great, great final showing uh, for the late, great Philip Price here. Michael Christopher as Philip Price. Uh, one last time. Take a bow, sir. Uh, I have an interview up with him over at THR.com slash MRRobot uh, right now. I really really enjoyed talking to Michael Christopher. We spent about uh, a half an hour on the phone on Sunday morning in the hours leading up to this episode. Uh, due to the Thanksgiving holiday, there was a little bit of a scheduling snafu. Uh, and much like the hack itself, uh, some obstacles in the way in terms of scheduling and logistics. But we were finally able to make it happen. And he's as delightful as you would hope. Like a lot of that Philip Price cadence is is very authentically Christopher, uh, and he he was he was just great. It was really really fun to talk to him. I hope he was able to spend Thanksgiving with his family, uh, Christopher's son. <laughs> yes, yeah, that would be good. <laughs> yeah. um, with Chris, Chris Christopher. He said, he said, "Take a Bowser," and I wondered if anyone's ever said that to Mario, Mario, Mario of the Mario Brothers. Take a Bowser. That would take a Bowser. Uh, wow. Yeah, this is getting off to a great start. Philip, Philip Price, uh, Michael Christopher. I really enjoyed your talk with him. It sounds like, uh, from what you're saying, obviously, that it went really well. It came across uh, in just reading what you had to write there. At the Hollywood Reporter in your discussion uh, with Michael Christopher about the about not just his role, not just Philip Price, but his view of the show. I thought he had a great pull quote 
about Sam Esmail being so good. <laughs> yes, he said Sam is really disgusting. Uh, actually, Anto- so Antonio and I were texting as I was on the phone with Michael Christopher, uh, yeah. and I and I pulled that quote live as it was happening. And it was the writing is so good. Sam is kind of disgusting. Really, it's depressing to be around him. Uh, literally uh, seconds after he said that, I transcribed that and sent that your way, Antonio. Uh, I could not live alone with that quote for. <laughs> any longer uh yeah he had a, he had a lot of really great insight into into Esmail as a storyteller uh, storyteller Christopher is a, a playwright uh and and knows his way around stories uh for sure uh and and writing and uh compared the journey of Mr. Robot to something as epic as the Odyssey um right. and and I thought that that was a very compelling take on this narrative that we're watching especially as we are wondering how it's going to resolve because in in many ways Antonio uh, the mission's accomplished, you know. I mean, like, I guess we know what happens when you hang the banner uh, too too early. Uh, but like, in in, in some ways, uh, in some very meaningful ways, uh, the Deus Group is done. Sorry, Donald Trump. Uh, you know, sorry, White Rose, who is murdering somebody in cold blood in public. That is not good for White Rose. Uh, the you know the the. Uh, FBI is is coming into her house at the end of the episode, but she's still putting on the lipstick, and she still seems determined to get some shit done. Uh, so it's it's a it's an episode where even though it's called conflict, uh, you almost feel like uh, it's 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 underselling the 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 victory, the accomplishment that is done here by by both Elliot, uh, by Price, certainly by Darlene. Not to un- oh, yeah. not to undersell Darlene Alderson, MVP uh, of this. Episode episode in in many meaningful ways um that there's just there's there's a great sense of victory there's this great feeling of release in this episode after the darkness we've been submerged in for the last little while here um but it's not a it's not a full-blown victory yet there's there's more to be done for sure and you get that sense by the end of the episode well and not just that it's not a full-blown victory i'm of the opinion that we maybe shouldn't be hanging banner look at banner michael um that we shouldn't be hanging banner in that way because if you think about we we talk about how it's happening it's happening it's happening turns into it happened right and you think about the 59 hack and how that seemed like a big win when the 59 hack was activated and we saw the aftermath that it, that he was misguided that the idea that you could hack what he hacked on 59 and actually change the world was not going to happen this seems like a death blow but from what I've seen uh, in the context of Mr. Robot, these death blows are rarely fatal. Now, White Rose's reaction to this and uh, Minister Zhang mode would tend to this would tend to make us believe that maybe uh, Rome did fall, as Mr. Robot says. Uh, but I suspect that we don't necessarily. It's not going to be as clean. It's never clean on this show. I don't think it's going to be as clean as this is a win and this conflict is over uh, and never the twain shall meet again. We're not going to deal with the 1% of the 1% again. They have been checkmated and that's it. I just, I, I don't, I think the show is more realistic than that. Um, and I think changing that this late in the game uh, would represent a tonal shift that I'm not sure the show is going to go with. I think we'll be in much more of a gray area, even as we find some happy notes, but the end game certainly does seem like it's going to be more focused on Elliot. That's how the episode starts, of course, with the scene that we will break down in detail. Uh, but I thought your interview, getting back to it with Michael Christopher, uh, I thought his take on that was very interesting. When he, you, as you mentioned, he compared it to the Odyssey and he says it's the man separated from himself 
who has to journey to find his way back to himself. I think we've done that with these four years. I think you'll know when you see these last few episodes whether I'm right or not. So in that interview, Michael Christopher seems to be teeing up that what we're dealing with over these last four episodes is going to be more about Elliot uh, finding his way back to Elliot. And that certainly that first scene really does tee that up as well. So maybe the conflict with Elliot and White Rose is mostly over. Yeah, but I'm, I don't know. That final image of White Rose is so ominous. Obvi- obviously, there's more to that story. We don't Definitely. know, we don't know what the machine is yet. Um, you know, I, I think we can, we can, we can and, and should debate that conversation that Elliot and White Rose have, uh, that, that Price is privy to that, that ends up, I think, being very informative of, of Price's final actions. Uh, this idea of Angela's still alive. Let me show you her. Let me take you to her. Uh, and how much do we want to believe um, White Rose at face value is a very dangerous prospect at any point in time? Or do you want to believe Price's interpretation of like you, you, you know, tug on people's heartstrings and you expose that weakness and you, you destroy people with it? Like, is that the right read? Uh, I still think that we're there, that reckoning is still coming and we only have four hours left of the show. We've got 10, 11, 12, 13. We're done. We're we're very down to the wire here. And there's much to resolve with Elliot, obviously, as this first scene that complicates the matter of the other one, uh, even more to a point where like, I'm, I'm just, I'm throwing my hands up in the air here pretty soon, Antonio, and just letting myself go along for that ride. Uh, I'm sure we'll do some guesswork, but I'm, I'm running out of guesses. Uh, (laughs) and, and I'm hoping that you've got something intelligent to Share. Uh, yeah, I feel pretty good. Good, good, good. Uh, you know, and I, I think we, we obviously have to accomplish that, but we have to, we have to know more about because I, I, I do get the sense that White Rose believes what she's peddling, right? Like I, I do believe that in White Rose's mind, Angela's alive in a manner of speaking. What does that mean? It well, <laughs> Philip Price does say right that oh, she's alive because the people who love her carry her memory on, right? But White Rose believes what White Rose believes. And I I was going to ask you if, if your take on this now is that because you're the one who throughout our podcasting here has said that the show has to deliver on and you have you've to, to your credit, you have not been saying it much this season. But in past years, you have said the show has to deliver on what White Rose showed Angela. Right. We need to find that out. We need to see it. We need to understand what happened there. I think the conversation with Philip Price that you were just highlighting seems to indicate that White Rose is a bullshit artist. More than anything else, more than a scientific genius or a visionary of some sort, she is a bullshit artist. And that's what Philip Price calls her out for. Philip Price says, you're so good at what you do that I saw your people dragging Angela's body away and I still believed you. So you are just full of shit. And so I'm wondering if you think at this point, we as viewers should be putting that we're going, we need to see what White Rose showed Angela to bed and realize that maybe White Rose just manipulated Angela and that's that. If the show ends and we don't get any further clarification on it, then like I'm, I'm comfortable living in that ambiguity. Um, but I don't think that the show is going to be that ambiguous. I think what we're going to get from the show is White Rose's belief clarified. I'm going to, I'm, I think that her version of alive and her version of whatever it is the machine does being reality. I think those are things that are going to be up in question, but I, I don't really question her belief in it. 
You know, like I, I do buy her belief in it. And I, I buy into her, her manipulation of Angela and her manipulation of people in order to achieve this end that she feels, uh, justifies all means of getting there. Um, but I, but I, but I think that what she, what she believes in, she believes in it ardently. Like I don't think that that's a con. I don't think that's a lie. I think she might be insane. And I think that she might be severely misguided. And I think she might be on the con of doing something very dangerous right now because she is backed into a corner without any of her money. And if we're going to make a move, we got to make the move now. You know, we have run out of time. Um, and so I think that that's an, an, an added element to the danger right now. And I'm glad about that because I don't think it would have been nearly as satisfying to see whatever machine shenanigans were going to uh, occur, the machine chicanery, uh, if we were going to, you know, mo- <laughs> move it to the Congo and we were going to have to close out Mr. Robot in the Congo, I think it's going to be much more satisfying to have some of these endgame set pieces at Washington Township, at the site where uh, where so much of this started, where really all of this started in so many ways. I think that that is where we are physically going in the immediate future of this show. And then I think as far as the long run future and the, you know, the existential places that we're going, we're seeing in this episode how so much of the action and so much of the story and so much of the forward momentum is still very internal for Elliot. So I think that we are going to go underground in a literal sense at Washington Township and deal with whatever White Rose has got going on with the project at the same time as we are going to go deeper underground into Elliot Alderson's psyche. I agree with that. And I think we could even go into flashback territory with Elliot. I think with four episodes left, um, there's a possibility that we fill in a lot of his gaps because he's recovering memory. Because he's in a position where there are pieces missing for us as well as him, uh, whether we flash back to the three days after the initial 5-9 hack, which is one of the things we talked about in advance of this season as sort of something that's floating around out there as a scene they've revisited multiple times now in the context of this show, uh, or, or if there's more to the scene uh, at, with Elliot and Tyrell at Coney Island, uh, where you're not seeing, you're only seeing what's in front of you, uh, indirectly referenced, by the way, this week in the episode where White Rose tells Elliot, I thought you weren't one of those people who only saw what was in front of you. So is there going to be more in that scene? Uh, I think we could flash back to either of those moments, but I think we could go even further back. Whatever is referenced in this first scene, what Elliot did, whatever his uh, alters or whatever you want to call these people uh, that live in his subconscious, young Elliot, Magda, Mr. Robot, then they're sitting here talking about whatever Elliot did. We need to show him what he did. And I guess the question becomes, when did he do whatever this ominous thing is uh, that seemingly put Elliot to sleep? And I think if that's the case, we're going to go underground in Washington Township in the current timeline, I have no doubt. My question is whether we've already been there in Elliot's story. Uh, did he do something with White Rose before this? Right. Is that why he was unable to remember anything at the beginning of this season? Is that why everyone keeps going back to my favorite scene, uh, the opium dream, you were only born a month ago? Is that a key line, um, as people seem to think it is? Uh, and is that because um, a month ago something happened? What we know about Elliot before the timeline of Mr. Robot 
is that he broke up a server room wherever he was working. They locked him in there uh, because he was finding too many bugs and they weren't able to go home for a holiday. And he used a baseball bat and destroyed it. And I think theoretically, that is why he ended up in treatment with Krista to begin with, right? Right. That was his initial crime that summer, uh, the year before the hack. Then we know that October, Darlene shows up. Uh, he's already had this thing where he's gone crazy and he's on probation. Then we have the Christmas episode where they're getting the arcade together right around Thanksgiving of that year was when Darlene recruits Elliot or Mobley and Trenton. Uh, and then we get to five, nine of the following years when the hack happens. So the question is, was Elliot interacting with White Rose at some point before all of this? He forgot who Darlene was. Did he forget who Mr. He forgot who Mr. Robot was? Um, did he forget who White Rose was as well? Is that what he did? Are we going to go back there? Um, so that's something I definitely think we're going to get to in the next few episodes. I wonder, Josh, from a logistics standpoint, White Rose has talked a ton about how this shipping hack and getting the project to the Congo and having it happen on time, and it's going to happen in a few days, and it's so important. Is the machine even in operation at this point? Are we to assume it's been dismantled and it's sitting on a ship somewhere? Or is this all still in Washington Township waiting to be taken down so that it can be shipped? Yeah, I think the logistics are a good question. Um I think just for for the sake of of drama, right? Like it's got to exist still. I think if you start to think about it too logistically, and this needed to be shipped out, when was it going to in January at some point? Can we forgive like if they haven't started dismantling it yet, uh, or if aspects of it still exist? Is there like uh, is there like a, a, a central part of the premise that could still exist? I'm I'm starting to really like the idea that it is some kind of like simulator, uh, especially as that relates to um, the the ideas of connection and and what it means to be connected and disconnected, both uh, technologically but also just in your life. I think that playing with that in terms of White Rose's plan and having that match with the end game of the show makes a lot of sense to me. And is there some sort of smaller scale way of expressing that without having the full machine available? Um, but I do you think let, let me before yeah. we, before we go further, do you think that um, project and machine in this case are synonymous? Or do you think the machine is part of a larger project? Uh, and therefore, the machine could be dismantled, but there is some greater project that the machine is only one part of. Yeah, I think that that seems likely to me. Like if the machine hasn't been triggered before, but White Rose has been able to show uh, – if we believe that she has been able to show people enough proof that her plan is is uh, achievable, uh, to convince some people that it is it is so achievable that they are willing to die for her cause – uh, not even talking about Angela, but just talking about all the random Dark Army associates who take their own lives rather than be caught because they believe in in White Rose's dream. Um, then the machine is obviously going to be a big piece of it uh, and probably like the big actualizer. But is it enough to... Is that it on its own or is that just like sort of like the battery, right? Like is that sort of just like uh, the the distributor? Right. It's a good question. And I I don't know the answer to that. It's something I'm pondering. Because even in this episode, when Philip Price comes to Elliot and he hands him the drive uh, and he says, this is everything you need to know about White Rose's project. I want you to destroy the machine. Uh, he says both project and machine uh, almost synonymously, uh, but he definitely distinctly says both of them. So that's a, that's a thing where I think you could have the project, as you said, without having the machine. So even if the machine is dismantled in some way, um, there may be some proof of concept. Like I said, 
It's also entirely possible to me that Elliot has interacted with this thing before and we don't even know it. Um, and that his wipe your memory clean thing or whatever happened to him before the season was as a result of him activating the machine. Here's another question. Let's just going into, if we're going to go back to Washington Township and we're going to be on the ground there uh, and we're going to find ourselves in that plant, is it possible that whatever Elliot did is why his father has cancer or is it possible that the cancer story is, is garbage and it never really played out that way and his dad died a different way perhaps some way as a result of young Elliot's act. I, I think that because of the way that Angela's mother died, I buy um, that there was some sort of sickness related to the plant. Uh, I, I buy that there is some sort of sickness related to the work on uh, White Rose's project. I see. We do know there was a leak because of the lawsuits right. in season one. Yeah. But the question I have is now, if, if you take that at face value... Did Elliot then, do you think, end up having a role in what caused the leak to begin with? That's that's fun. That's fun to think. I mean, fun is the wrong word, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's, dark. <laughs> it's dark, but like that's very Mr. Robot. Um, especially if it was some means of protecting himself. Uh, if that was some sort of way that if he did something with intention to, to you know, hurt his father, uh, that that... He, you know, we've we've seen already in, I believe, in four hundred eight, you know, the the whole key situation and the way that you were fighting back then. Uh, this would be a very extreme version of that. Um, I, I I know Elliot's a super genius, but man, he'd be really young to like mastermind his dad getting irradiated. <laughs> you know, it would, be, right. it would be very very intense. Uh, I think so. I'm I'm not sold on it, but it, it wasn't something I was really considering until you brought it up. I just don't know. I mean, I think if we go back to Washington Township, which I, I agree with you that it's going to happen, uh, the question really becomes like, are we? Are we dealing with Washington Township uncovering some elements of the machine or are we dealing with Elliot uncovering some elements of his backstory or is it a thing where it's somewhat of both? Yeah. And I think the latter is more likely. Yes. And if you get into that territory, then you tie it into the first scene. Uh, we have to, you know, he's got to find out what he did. Um, he's been asleep, quote unquote. Yeah. What, uh, what, so, is, yeah. what is going on? Because obviously a lot of questions about this that we got from our listeners, Edward Morris, four minutes in, and I'm confused AF. Uh, Schubert said that's an insane episode all around, but I really want to hear you guys get into that crazy first scene. Do you think the family members and different personalities are manipulating Elliot into doing something he might regret? Uh, Fitzy just outright challenged us, threw down the gauntlet and said, plant the flag you cowards who is the other one uh and is there more to the line about elliot not being able to wake up but he woke up for darlene what does it mean uh this is uh to borrow your words to me antonio a white hot first five minutes of the show yeah that's uh i watched the the first scene there and i, I said to you like i only watched the first five minutes but it's a white hot opening yeah you definitely said white is. hot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a killer ride. Um it is uh it is white hot. I for me it sort of tracked with the stuff we've been talking about here on the podcast the course of the season. And that that mainly is that the the other if you will is some form of prime Elliot or a dormant Elliot. Uh not some alter like a fish or uh somebody that we've seen on screen throughout, but that the Elliot we've seen on screen as I've talked about even tonight uh, is the Elliot who doesn't remember at, at at some point in the show didn't remember that Mr. Robot was his dad. 
didn't remember that Darlene was his sister. How could that Elliot be an Elliot out there in the world? And is it therefore not possible that the original Elliot uh, is somewhere buried under this Elliot who has forgotten all this stuff and who manifests to the world in a different way uh, because he is not completely in touch with himself? And again, this goes back to what Michael Christopher said about the Odyssey uh, and about this being a story, a hero's story about a man coming back into touch with himself. I think this first scene makes it seem much more likely that what they're waiting for is for Elliot, whatever the sleeping Elliot is, to emerge, uh, to wake up, and that that is who Darlene interacted with. Mr. Robot highlights this. This scene is taking place pretty much currently in the timeline uh, because they're talking about the hack needing to be completed, and they're talking about how he spoke to Darlene a couple of months ago. So this is happening just in the current timeline. And I really do think it's about the fact that what they're talking about, the person they're waiting for, is actual Elliot. Magda says, like, he's been asleep this whole time. What that means to me is the Elliot that is presenting to the world, the one that we've known, is not the real Elliot. It's some, that's the altar. That's the third one. Uh, the, the one that we, we have yet to really fully meet is the fully formed Elliot, who is fully aware of his history, who knows everything he's done in the past, who knows all of his backstory, who remembers all the details about what happened with his father, uh, who who is cognizant of all those things, and who has been covered up by all of these other things, who has been asleep and not connected, who, when Darlene said something about Fernando Vera, his response was to snore it off and to not do anything about it. That's the Elliot that we haven't met yet, and that seems to me to be who they're talking about in this first scene, uh, is that how you read it? Or do you think there's still room that we're, that the audience is going to play a role in this or Sam Esmail or something else? Sam Esmail. Yes. Uh, us less and less. I think, I think there's still being an idea that there's like a creator, like an auteur that like Elliot is going to be presented as, uh, you know, th- in the same way that the word E corp becomes evil corp. Uh, that Elliot is just being read out loud or, or sounded out loud, and that's how we're hearing it. But he has a different name. Maybe he is Sam Sepiel. Uh, I think that there are possibilities for that still in play. I don't know if I will be thrilled with that. I don't. I don't know that I will love that if that's the direction that we go in. Um, but there's just there's 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 been enough that there's been a lot of change on the show recently that I'm I'm losing the plot on it a little bit. Uh, where I felt really good about that idea that we're being awaited right like that we that our active participation is something that is desired in order to conclude this story um i feel less good about that now i don't i i think the way that this conversation took place didn't all like outright rule that out for me um but i i i think it it just it it, it they were talking so much more specifically about elliot as a person and and that conversation to me really um removed the feeling that I had that what we were going to wait for, the other one is going to be the monster, is going to be Edward Alderson, some really deep reckoning that Elliot has to have with his true father, even if it's only internally. Um, It does sound like what they're talking about here is a literal third personality, like a third uh, aspect of Elliot. Um, and And I like the idea, I guess... I don't know. I don't know that I like it yet. I I don't know where they're going. I don't I don't feel like I've got a good grasp on what this reveal is ultimately going to be, but this final season has been so satisfying to me that I am I'm ready to just that's what I mean when I say like I'm throwing my hands up and I'm just going I'm here for the turbulence at this point. Antonio, it's a killer ride and I think that we're going to know our destination <laughs> before too much longer. 
Yeah, I I'm with you to an extent. I think that you can you can look look at it and say there there is one interesting thing to me, which is that you can look at it and say when Magda says to Mr. Robot, you encourage this. Like you're you're in on this. You've been in on this since the beginning, and Mr. Robot admits it. And then Mr. Robot says, we have to finish his mission. Once the hack is done, maybe then I can get through to him. The way he says it and the way Magda's talking about it, it almost sounds like this quote unquote mission is shenanigans. It's silly. It's like not not the place where the they have the stuff on the wall that has the cheese sticks. Ooh, the mozzarella sticks, yeah. Yeah, no, no, not that place. Um, but no, this is that he he just downplays it. It's like, oh yeah, we have to finish his mission. It sounds like the little like the the sort of thing you would say to like a six year old um who you're pretending with, right? It sounds very pretend. It doesn't sound real in that world, which is weird because of course that world seems to be the pretend world. Uh so it's very curious to me that the mission, we have to finish his mission. Like it's this important thing for Elliot and it's shenanigans that Mr. Robot is encouraging and Mr. Robot admits it. Like, so that's the part to me where I feel like is the story we've been watching uh, about the hack and the importance of taking down the 1%. If it's the product of a sleeping mind, uh, in, in, we're, we're in full on, like if we're talking about this first scene, we're in full on, like, body asleep mind awake right or no body body awake mind asleep like elliot's body's awake but his mind is asleep uh and that's where we are with this like does that mean that this mission is just sort of like a dream and it's not real reality and that he's in a coma somewhere or he's actually sleeping uh and that's the part where i'm a little i'm nervous about that yeah Yeah. that would that would be tough that would be tough because there's so many other storylines and so many other characters who have had apparently real and authentic experiences right and like that's all just going to be like in a snow globe, right? You know, it's yeah, it's you know, it's going to be seen elsewhere, Mister Elsewhere. You know, like I just don't, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how here for that I would be. Um, but I well, don't know. We I could, don't know. We could get there. This the show is such right that what we could do because we're in the Christmas thing and we're talking about the possibility of a machine which takes someone's pain away and allows them to reset their lives, as White Rose sort of talks about in this episode. We could see an episode, knowing what we know about Elliot's ability to imagine worlds, we could see an It's a Wonderful Life type episode where we imagine what would happen totally. if Elliot is to undo certain things that have happened. Uh, and that's a way we could see Angela again. I, and I, like, I fully anticipate that. I, I think that something to that effect is, is highly likely. I do too. And I don't know if it'll be a full episode, if it'll be 20 minutes of one episode, like the sitcom right. uh, pastiche, or right. if that will be a thing. But I think we will see that at some point. Uh, and so the, the, pro- the, the thing is, you could have your cake and eat it too on this. Like you could say, uh, there's a way you could present the surreal world uh, and show that without it being uh, taking away from the main story, because it could be presented in that kind of context. Um, this room, though, the E-Corp room, is a little concerning because you're right. Is this... These are clearly people that are in Elliot's brain that are talking about Elliot without Elliot being there. Uh, and if you remember at the beginning of the season, when we first were introduced to the concept of the other one, we had Mr. Ro- El- young Elliot says, are we waiting for Mr. Robot? No, Elliot. No, we're waiting for the other guy. So the other guy isn't even Elliot. So what version of Elliot is it? Uh, I don't know. It It's definitely a, a thing where we've got two of these scenes now. We're probably going to have at least one or two more before the end. 
Ah, so that's what I'm saying. Though, like I'm nervous about it, and there's other stuff to be nervous about too. That on on this one, I've I feel like I've stuck out some ideas, and I feel like I've struck out with all of them. Uh, so so at this point, I'm really just ready to 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 get whatever we get. Um, I'm I'm ready to get whatever we get with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean the good news is I'm not really married to one particular sure, thing. Sure, same. Just, I hope it doesn't go sideways. That's, That's yeah, I agree. Uh, sideways universe. Uh, if it's a, I'm if confident it's a, it won't. If it's a brief sojourn into the sideways universe, I'm not. I'm not that mad at it. Um, <laughs> uh, other things for this episode that I think we should get into uh, is I, I do think that we need to spend some time just like bowing at the altar of Darlene Alderson. Uh, not not Careful the, with the word altar. Yeah, I was going to say, not the Elliot Alderson altar uh, sense of the word, but literally... Altar uh, Ooh, there you go. Oh my God, it's right there. Uh, the fact that Darlene uh, is able to improvise the way that she is, like, what a great actualization of Darlene Alderson in this episode. Going full F Society on the Deus group... Uh, getting getting that the the that Russian bad guy out there, getting getting Trump and his burgers outed, doxing the Davis group. Uh, it's just a an absolute delight, absolute delightful I, stuff. I cheered uh, when she said, "Turn the TV on," and we saw what we saw because it was such a great improvisation. I didn't know we only saw a flash of her going into like a costume shop, uh, breaking her way in there and going into the 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 changing room with. Something that she pulled off the wall there. We only saw it briefly. Uh, and I wasn't sure. I mean, we see if you go back and rewatch, of course, she gets the idea from shift control. She sees the banner on the side of a building and realizes, oh, yeah, like that was a thing we did. I'm going to do that again. This will bring them out. This is great. So it is just a marvelous, not just the fact that she's able to do all the hacking in the moment and hack the uh, the exit gate uh, at the building at Cipriani's or do the things she's able to do with the accounts, but just the, the the improvisation here to do the doxing and to make that happen the way that she made it happen. It's so great. The music is so great. The way that it's presented at the end of that scene with Elliot and White Rose, it's just such a champion moment for Darlene. It is truly great. And then, of course, she gets the great stare down with Sergey at the end of the episode as well when he's pulling away and she's seeing exactly what she hath wrought. It's 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 really a great... Darlene episode. I really hope that Darlene will, of, of anyone in this story, I want her to have the good ending. I hope so too. And I know. By good, I mean happy. Yes, I, I, I hear that. And I agree with you very, very much. And I know that there have been times in the past where we've been like on very severe Darlene death watch. And what a foolish thing to put out there now. But like, I feel like, I think we're going to. I think we're gonna be. Oh, oh. <laughs> this is like yeah. when when uh when I left Thanksgiving uh my parents' house, and every time I leave my mom's house, she goes, uh, "I I hope traffic is fine on the way home." And I'm like, "Dee Dee, I love you, but stop! Don't say that. It's <laughs> never gonna work. You're willing the traffic into existence." So in that same spirit is is how I say, "Darlene's gonna be fine. She's gonna be all right. She's gonna make it." Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> We've talked a little bit about this on the podcast, but there have been these theories in the past that Darlene is going to go down in a plane crash. Right. Uh, That's she's right. A I risk. forgot that one. <laughs> Let's just hope she stays away from any plane. Right, 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 right. Let's not tempt fate in that way. 
Uh, yeah, it's not impossible. Uh, I think the plane crash one feels a little hard uh, to, to picture how we're getting up in the air and then crashing that thing before the end of the season. But stranger things have happened in four hours. Just ask Jack Bauer about it. Um, oh, dear. But uh, if, if the worst should happen... Uh, a hell of a, a final hack for for Darlene. I mean, I think that there's there's still more praise to be heaped upon Philip Price. I think to break down his role in this episode uh, in further detail, that's definitely something I want to do. Uh, Elliot, we've talked about a whole lot, uh, and and very smart of him to stick around and and figure out the cell phone tower uh, is something that he can hack, and that's how he's going to be able to get White Rose's number. But Darlene really has to do the lion's share of the work, uh, not the least of which is commuting from the Bronx down to to, to Chip, Cipriani. Uh, more Canadian New York chicanery uh, is, has uh, been undertaken here. Uh, and she pulls all that off. She is able to get into full F-Society regalia. Uh, she is able to, to get 99 of the 100 uh, days group telephone numbers all on her own uh, and just has to like, you know, white knuckle it out waiting for Elliot to get that last one. Uh, so if this were down the hatch and we were handing out MVP points, Darlene would get three from me. Uh, she would get two from me. Yeah. So we, she would be top scorer as the highest she could get. Uh, I, I do wonder, there is that moment when she sees Philip Price come into the hotel room and she says like, after he leaves, like, what the hell is he doing here? What does he have to say about Angela? And Mr. Robot's like, I'll fill you in later. We got to get to work. And then like the next scene, he fills her in. So uh, do you think it's significant that she managed to find out that Darlene or that, that, that Angela was Philip Price's daughter? Like she, that, that's something that happened. And Mr. Robot sort of said, like, I'll fill you in later. We could easily not have filled her in. But by the next scene, she knows that Angela was Philip Price's daughter. So is something going to come from that? Is she going to be the one who carries the Angela torch fully here uh, and is able to do something with that knowledge? Or do you, th- do you think do you see a reason why she found that out at all? I think if only to kind of like blur the lines a little bit in this episode. You know, I, I do think that there was something really powerful about, you know, Philip Price, who is a, a one percenter among one percenters, um, reaching the end of his his rope and, and realizing that everything he had done in his life up to that point was meaningless and probably wrong. Uh, and just as he was starting to make human connection, it was way too late. Uh, Angela probably would have rejected him even if she had survived, right? Like I think is a very likely outcome. And he still would have been alone on Christmas morning. Um, but this person who has been so close to the power sensor of the world in his, uh, in his final twilight hour, uh, realizing that there is still some, some good to be done here. There is still, um, some toothpaste, some manner of toothpaste he can put back in the tube. If he teams up uh, with these people who loved his daughter so much, I think for Darlene to see that in Philip Price and to connect Philip Price to Angela um, like that maybe allows her to see some dimensionality in someone like Price that maybe makes her less of... Uh, like a conqueror is sort of the way that she has been portrayed in a lot of the show uh, up to this point. And I think that that has been something that has worn on her in a very big way and something that she's been trying to reconcile. Uh, you know, she's been trying to reconcile kind of like the cold war making decisions uh, that she has had to execute along the way, not the least of which is executing Madam Execu- Executioner. Yeah, I was going to bring that up for sure. You know, and she had like the whole the, the jam sesh with Tobias, uh, you know, just a couple 
couple of episodes ago, like you know, where, where she's, Golly. you know, exactly where like she really lays it all out there. Uh, and I think that she's ready to move on. I think she's ready to move on. And I think, I think that getting that side of Philip Price and I think for, for both her, for Elliot reckoning with the idea, uh, that there's, a very specific set of people that if we destabilize them, then a lot of this stuff that we've been aiming for all along, um, we're going to be able to satisfy. Uh, I think in so far as finding out that Price is Angela's father, I don't think that there's too much more that needs to come of that, certainly for Darlene. And I, I feel like the, especially the way that Price talked about Angela in his final moments, I feel pretty good about the Angela arc, uh, right now. I don't, I don't know how much more like avenging Angela we need to do moving forward no i i agree uh and i that's i think part of why i asked you about why she found out if there was going to be any more of an axe to grind on her part as a result of this knowledge she was already obviously all in with both feet on the hack and everything they were doing making it personal like that with regard to angela she didn't need that she's already got cisco for one and for the other um i just think that she was already carrying a lot of Angela around with her. She's been the one, I think, because we haven't allowed ourselves to see Elliot really processing that grief because Elliot is not allowing himself to do it. Uh, we have not, as his friend, been allowed to see that happen. We've seen that happen with Darlene a lot more. Uh, we see her looking at Angela's shoes. We know what happened in her apartment. We know how she was dealing uh, with the drugs a few days ago uh, and saying she saw Angela somewhere. So, we know what she's been dealing with. Like, I, I think you're right to highlight the Madam Executioner moment because I'm looking back and thinking, why did that ultimately come back up? Like, why did it matter that uh, that she was off the board and we had to deal with Olivia? We could have just said the contact is Olivia and that's that. It didn't have to be Susan Jacobs. But it was important, I think, that that was brought back up, that Elliot and Darlene talk about that, um, that Darlene was still working to process that and that these are issues that we're reminded of about this character because these character notes are important for her journey as well. Right. Uh, and we're seeing that, of course, with DDP and, and Darlene uh, in last episode. And knowing that Darlene is certainly willing to uh, out Elliot's phone location to protect DDP's family, but she doesn't out the all-safe location. She doesn't give up the hack. So there are things she's willing to keep back. All of this makes Darlene a more nuanced, intricate character. I think it's good to be reminded of these things. I think her having that knowledge, it just will be interesting to me if there's anything else actionable with it. Because I agree with you that I think in terms of avenging Angela, we're done. Like we're, we've crossed that. We've crossed that bridge. And she doesn't even, Darlene did not need that to want vengeance against the Dark Army. Uh, that is already, already very personally located for her. Uh, with Janice, with Cisco, with DDP, everything that's happened, that's there. So it was interesting to me that she just got, that Mr. Robot said like, oh, we don't have time for that. And then literally the next scene, uh, Darlene is saying, oh, I can't believe that Price was Angela's father. Like, I'm, I don't know why she never told me that. Uh, and Mr. Robot is protecting her. And he says like, maybe she never knew. Uh, but I, I just I thought that was yeah. a really interesting scene. I, th I think it's the idea. You know, people are complicated, and it's something that Esmail has talked about. Uh, you know, he talked to me about in, in our interview that we did uh, it, at the at the start of the season, the the series regular podcast that we did uh, about how in in his mind uh, a villain is much more interesting if you can like kind of like get on their side to a certain degree, if you could see things the way that they see things, uh, if you're dealing in these shades of gray, if you find yourselves rooting for them in certain 
certain capacities. And I think with, with White Rose, they've, they've made some, some moves towards that. Uh, and I'm very curious to see how sympathetic we are towards her in the, in the final balance of things. Um, you know, she's still a major player on the board here as we're reconciling the ending of Mr. Robot. But as it pertained to, to Philip Price, I think, it's as surprising uh, as anything to me on this show that I I felt really emotional in that final scene with with Price, uh, knowing full well that entire episode like this this man is not making it out of here alive. There's just absolutely no chance, uh, you know. And I think he he recognizes that as well himself. I think White Rose pitches the idea to to Price like, "Tell me what you're doing right now, and we'll drive you home and give you a heart attack." <laughs> you know, it's like the it's like that's the that's the happiest ending you could ask for right now so price may as well drink all her fancy champagne and and get wasted and and stargaze uh you know there's strategic uh implementation of of that stuff uh as far as helping out elliot's plan Um, but i think that there's also a little bit of like let me just go out in style um but i felt very emotional with price talking about angela and angela living on through the people whose lives she touched um and it it centers pretty largely on angela as kind of a ghost fueling the the action here on christmas um it centers very much on elliot and darlene being the executors of the plan but it was not lost on me that uh you know this veritable scrooge you know this veritable ebenezer scrooge himself had this transformation and I and it really humanized Price in a way that I think that the season had done a lot of really great work in that regard along the way. I I just I will never get that picture out of my head of of, of Price as just this sad lonely man having breakfast by himself on Christmas morning. It's just one of the yeah. most indelible images of, of Mr. Robot for me uh, in in that restaurant. So I think that the show had already done a lot of really great work for us. But I think to 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 map that onto someone like Darlene who really had a very binary view of who she was up against. And who you know who were the who was right and who was wrong? Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? And it's very very clean cut. Uh, and I think to, to blend that line a little bit uh, through a character like Philip Price, who to me is a much more maybe this is weird. Maybe I'll reconsider this after I finish saying it. Oh is is a more redeemable character than like Tyrell? For me, is Philip Price like Philip Price is somebody who I can who I can get more on board with as somebody who's like a human being and not just like some strange alien from Pluto who puts on his blue murder gloves and kills people uh, and we're still supposed to like somehow feel sorry for him. Price has done awful awful things as well, but I feel like the way that the the tragedy the great tragedy of his life weighed on him and the way that the show spent so much time mining that emotion fallout for him um, was really special uh, and was was captured in a way that was never quite captured with Tyrell as a character. Uh, as much as I enjoyed that performance, as much as I enjoyed him as a presence on the show, I think with Tyrell, a lot of the time it was like, how is he going to fit into things? With Price, it was less about that and more about like, oh, this poor son of a bitch who thinks he's God only to find out that he's no you're very human sir you're very human after all uh and i think for darlene to get a little bit of that i think was was a probably not like a a fully necessary note for the character but one that i'm really glad that she was afforded nonetheless it is uh it is very telling that darlene has been such an active participant she points out for example that you've never done a hack without me. Like everything you've done, it's been in part because of my work. And we see how significant her work is in this episode. Yes, 
Mr. Robot was fixated on White Rose, and appropriately so, because somebody needed to be worried about the kingpin there. Uh, but they would have never done anything without Darlene's work here. Uh, 99 out of 100 is the much more significant part than the one. So this was a, this was all her. But it is telling that she's on the sidelines for a lot of the clear details of all of this. I mean, Elliot knew about Price and Angela because Elliot hacked Price or Elliot figured this out, looked into him, determined it. And Elliot never shared this with Darlene. Darlene has to find out that way. Um, it's a note that's about their relationship as well. It's a note that's about how significant Darlene is in this show and how important of a character she is. And yet she's still in the dark about this thing, about her really good friend and about this person that she's been in mourning over. And this is information that was out there and was known. Mr. Robot does not take responsibility. He tries to hide from it and says, maybe she didn't, you know, maybe she didn't know. He knows the truth, I think, at least. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't realize that all of those things had happened. Uh, but he's sheltered, and Elliot has sheltered Darlene from a lot of the Angela knowledge. Uh, so for Darlene to get back up to speed here in this way, I think is important. Did you feel like this was a good ending for the Price and White Rose story? Yes. What we've seen is yes. head-to-head throughout. Yes, head to yes, yes. Hard yes. Very big yes. Uh, yeah, he reigned chaos, dude. <laughs> you know, he's a, he promised that he would. He's a mercenary. He would rather, uh, he would rather watch White Rose lose than, than win himself. Uh, and even like parroting that back to White Rose was so great. It's like this, this idea that Price like knew that when he said those words back in the day, it was such a zinger that on his final night, he needed to say it again. Uh, that it meant that like he felt it so deeply in his bones. Uh, I know like uh, Mr. Robot Twitter came alive at uh, something wrong, old sport. You know, the fact that he calls him, he calls White Rose old sport on his way out the door. The fact that he's assassinated publicly, uh, you know, after spending all that time uh, being obsessed with the origin of World War I uh, and, 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 and all of that. Like, I, I feel like, yeah, for, for Price... To me, I'm trying to think of a more satisfying arc on Mr. Robot. Can you think of one so far of, of the ones we've gotten? Obviously, there's still some arcs that need to close. Uh, but I, I think that this, this has to be top of the list for me right now. It's weird because I was thinking, is it satisfying the arc of Elliot and Krista in therapy because of how horribly it, that happened? Krista's arc is, you- is pretty great. Yeah, we do get the breakthrough between Elliot and Krista, and that's that's present from the beginning of the show in a way that Philip Price really isn't, which is not to say anything about uh, the, the length of his arc or the difference in its quality. Uh, I think the end to the Elliot and Krista story, if that's the end, I think that was really good, even though it came under such duress. I thought that was a really good moment for that arc. Uh, so that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, obviously, it didn't go well for Gideon, for Cisco, uh, for Tyrell, for Joanna. Uh, for so many of these other characters that were on the board, um, this is a really good one for Philip Price. He goes out like a hero. He goes out with his daughter's name on his lips, talking about the fact that love is important uh, and that love matters uh, and, and really digging the knife in on Zhang. You did all this to yourself. Just remember that. Uh, and laughing about everything that's happened. But still goes out like a human being, too. And, and I'm glad that like right. they didn't kind of give him 
sort of like an omnipotent ending. And I'm, and I'm glad that they, that, that he's, that he's killed in the way that he's killed. Not just that White Rose gets to literally kill Price after Price is like existentially killed White Rose, uh, or at least is like mortally wounded White Rose. Um, but Price doesn't just get to get like shot in the head and it's over. He doesn't get something that's quite as, you know, relatively, a hard, relatively, uh, serene as what happens to Angela. God, this show makes you say weird things uh but like the fact that he gets shot in the back swivels around has such fear and dread and panic on his face and in his voice the beautiful soaring mac quail score cuts out uh and we're suddenly back in cold-blooded reality uh as white rose is assassinating price and riddling price with bullets and this sad old man is dying in this really physically brutal way um i'm i'm glad that we got that as a reminder of the groundedness of this show and that even though price is able to to do the right things and is able to really stand up to white rose for deeply personal reasons but uh largely the right reasons um still doesn't get to be completely let off the hook so cleanly and so easily doesn't get to just like walk off to the to the blinking blue light in the middle of the woods you know to to some sort of ominous uh fate uh we get to see philip price die and he dies badly he dies badly. He dies cinematically, obviously. You can't shoot someone on the steps uh, without going back uh, throughout film history uh, or just having these steps be so prevalent uh, in the way that they're shot from the Odessa step sequence, Battleship Potemkin, to Hitchcock, multiple Hitchcock movies doing uh, the same scenes over and over sometimes, uh, to uh, The Untouchables, uh, Brian De Palma, who I know Sam Esmail loves. Uh, Brian De Palma never uh, met, fell in love with a shot that someone hadn't used before uh, and preyed upon. So it is very much a touch point uh, to have Philip Price so cinematically killed on the stairs the way he is. Uh, and he dies a human. Like you said, he dies like a human being, even though um, the words are not about him. When the camera kind of pans over his body, and Mr. Robot's voiceover says, and like that, Rome falls. Uh, obviously, Mr. Robot is talking about the hack, but I also interpreted to be this is the death of a giant. Like, this is the death of a man who is, in this context of the show, more than human. What he has represented throughout, when he's often been the ultimate villain, uh, when it wasn't White Rose, when Philip Price and White Rose were on equal footing in that regard in our eyes. Um, this is a death of a giant. And so it was treated with humani- humanity, but it was also treated cinematically. And it was also treated as a major, major loss. So I thought overall, just a really, really satisfying ending to the Price and uh, White Rose story. And a great episode for Michael Christoff. Oh, so good. So good. So, so, so good. The global ramifications of this are going to be huge, assuming the globe still exists after White Rose does whatever she's probably about to do. Uh, you know, we, we had, uh, Price, you know, being assassinated so publicly, uh, by the, the Minister of State Security of China is not a nothing deal. That's going to make headlines. That's not fake news. That happened. That's real. Um, but the question is, like, how how much longer are we looking at the same globe? You know, uh, 2015 is on its way out the door in the world of Mr. Robot, and White Rose is backed into a corner. And we had some questions uh, Matt Paganzi had written, and this is the end for White Rose's machine, right? I mean, I think we'll see White Rose herself again, but in terms of the machine she built and that we saw under the power plant, 
uh, what do you guys think? And for me, no, like this to me means the blue murder gloves are off, right? Like the fact that White Rose has done what she's done, uh, the fact that she just killed Philip Price in such public display, the fact that the FBI is literally breaking down her door in a firefight is, uh, is, uh, taking place inside of her, her vast manor in New York City. Um, and she's getting ready. She's getting ready for a night on the town. It's time to move for White Rose. So just as we're starting to look down the line uh, towards what's coming next, I know we've already talked about it to a certain degree. Uh, yeah, I think that we're... We have not seen the last of White Rose by any stretch. And the other thing, too, is now that this hack is done, the timeline is a little bit up in question for me. Um, we don't know when the next episode is going to take place. Is it going to take place right away after everything has gone down? Are we still sort of at this, uh, you know, bullet train pace? Are we going to leap forward a few days into the future? Will it be 2016 when we pick up the show again next? Who knows? There's a lot of unknowns right now. This is probably the greatest period of unknown, uh, of the whole final season of Mr. Robot so far. Let's give a shout out, by the way, because of the white rose scene that you're talking about. Pardon me. At the end of the episode, it, it, the clock is finally ending on Christmas Day, 12 o'clock. How many episodes, Josh, did we cover with Christmas Day? Didn't we start at 404? <laughs> I believe we started at 404. We went from 404 to, to 409 because, yeah, it's turning, turning to Christmas morning on 404. Yeah. So we have one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six episodes. <laughs> In the context of 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Elliot has not slept. Uh, maybe that's what's next is Elliot, speaking of being asleep, maybe that's what's happening. Maybe those scenes are all happening and he hasn't woken up because the man hasn't slept in like two weeks here. I would be pretty happy with skipping forward a few days into the future. I think that'd be cool. Like, get us closer to New Year's Eve. I think if we could spend the rest of the season at the change of, uh, of the year, uh, I think certainly for the people who are, who are looking at 1116 as January 1st, 2016, uh, that's something that we're building towards. I think that that would be cool. Um, and I would love for these people to just get some frickin' sleep. Uh, it would be nice if, like, Darlene could pay a visit to Dom in the hospital or something, you know, like that's coming. It, We're going to get, that. you know, get, get her a tray of, uh, of, uh, macaroni and gravy, uh, oh, to, nice. to eat in the, I'm sorry. I know you're not feeling well. I don't need to throw that at you as well. That is your, that is your Mlair for sure. That's your Strigoi, yeah. uh, which I believe is stuck in my throat. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that that would be great. And it also buys White Rose some time to do something interesting. So I think that there's, there's something to be said for the idea of, uh, of picking up right away and just like keeping this momentum going. Um, but I would also be pretty happy if like these people can just catch up on like a week of sleep would be awesome. Get them all bright eyed and bushy tailed for the ending. Uh, they have tails. <laughs> that's the, that's the twist. Uh, oh, the third shit. Elliot is a rabbit. <laughs> I never four. Uh, so it says the four eleven error code is tail not allowed. Is that right? No, I'm just kidding. Oh my god. No. Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I I would really. I I think we will by the end of the season. That's where we'll be. We'll be at one one sixteen. I think that is a really. If that, I mean, look, I don't know about Elliot's mom's clock. Uh, in season two, saying eleven sixteen. If they seeded that all the way back, but it's just. It's cool as hell. It works. It works. Yeah, it works. It works. I'm really in on that. 
What other feedback do we have? Uh, let's see. Some other feedback. Uh, Shut Up Tim had asked us about a, a special guest in the in the Deus group scene, um, asking uh, if that was indeed Donald Trump. Uh, and yes, uh, the great uh, Isabel B had had called this out on Twitter as well in a in a in a in a, in a great viral tweet within the Mister Robot universe, screenshotting uh, a man who just by the back just grab grabbing himself some sliders. Uh, sadly, not BK Broilers, as I'm sure would be his preference. Uh, you can see. Uh, I thought I recognized those little hands. <laughs> you can see those, those meaty little hands. You can- <laughs> I, thought, I thought I saw those. Uh, so yeah, so if you didn't go back, uh, it, when we go into into Cipriani's for the first time, uh, you can see you can see Trump there. Um, uh, Stephanie B, uh, not Isabel B, Stephanie B, uh, had asked, did anyone else think the Davis Group was only like 15 to 20 people? Were you surprised that there were so many members of the Davis Group? I Listen, I mean, I'm... I'm constantly surprised by how many uber rich people there are. <laughs> yeah. I, I sort of thought that it was when we saw Elliot at the beginning of the series say, what I'm about to tell you is real. Uh, the top 1% of the 1% or whatever. We see that shot of a smoke filled room. It very much looks like the boardroom, the E Corp boardroom. Uh, and it is directly referenced right later in that episode when Elliot is summoned there by Tyrell, a uh, bonsoir Elliot. Uh, with the 12 lawyers surrounding him, it seems like that's the room Elliot's talking about. And that's a lot less people than we're at uh, Cipriani. So uh, I thought it might be less than that as well. But I'm I'm now assuming that the whole like um, Gold Coast or whatever you want to say, the Gatsby scene at the end of season one, the post credit scene at the end of season one, uh, I'm, I'm now assuming that that was a Deus Group meetup. Do you read it the same way? Yes, I do. I do. With the harp and everything, yeah. Yeah, so I think there were a lot more people there in that particular scene. By the way, uh, just out of left field here, do you think we're going to get a post credit scene in season four? Ooh, I hope so, right? You know? And then, like, o- yeah. open the door for a future Mr. Robot. Maybe a Ms. Robot uh, reboot. <laughs> oh, boy, you're so advanced. Um, I, how about a Mr. Robot movie? We could do a movie. Sir uh, Robot, originally- he goes back in time and has to fight the army of the dead. Uh, the Army of Darkness. Uh, How about the, no pronouns? I'm, I'm going to do no no pronouns <laughs> on robot. Uh, we can't do I robot. No, that's just do taken. Robot. That's taken. We could do, do we could do you robot. Yeah, or they robot. They robot. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but I I think uh, I think a post credit scene for season four, like a coda or just like a wrap up uh, scene, would be poetic. It would be nice. I, I'm I'm hopeful we'll get that. Uh, whatever it will be. Uh, I think we will have one of those. Um, here's a question for you, Josh. This is feedback from uh, Antonio M. Uh, AC Mazzaro on Twitter. Um, White Rose wants to know uh, at the end of the episode where uh, his money's at. Yeah. And I think this is a good question. I think Where so do you too. Think the money is going to end. Up? Man, I hope that it is going straight into the Alderson's pockets and that they get to take a really nice vacation. Maybe they can, uh, they can reinvent themselves somewhere. Maybe go be a lumberjack in South America with Dexter. Oh, come on, no. Uh, How about in the the the, the greater West uh, in uh, convertible with the wind yes. whipping through their hair? Sixty five El Camino convertible. Yes, I'm into it. I'm into it. Head to Alaska. Yeah, start over. We sort of speculated, like we we saw of society in season one freeing the animals from the cages, right? With the people who have died, uh, the Jim Carroll band uh, song playing in the background. Uh, I'm wondering. 
we kind of speculated in this podcast, is there a way for them to redistribute this money that sort of wipes their hands completely clean, that excuses any of the deaths that are on their hands, either directly or indirectly, that forgive them for their sins. Right. If they redistribute this money in such a in in, in some way, um, is that going to forgive all of this? All is this going to make it all worth it? We had Olivia for uh, earlier in this season asking Elliot, "Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Was it worth it?" Um, so I I think the money going somewhere that isn't just the Aldersons' pockets is a way to add real meaning to that. And that's something I just don't know what the answer to that is. Yeah, I think for me, I I think like much in the way that like Philip Price ends with some grace notes, but is still a pretty bad person. You know, I think that there is a very likely outcome to this show where Elliot and Darlene get to do more good. But like that doesn't necessarily forgive that Darlene killed someone in cold blood or Elliot did what he did to Olivia, which was horrible. Um so I think that I think that the wealth redistribution could happen. Does that forgive everything that happened along the way? Not necessarily, but I don't know that forgiveness is ultimately the point. Um, so much as like acceptance is. I think that that's really, especially as we're looking at kind of like psychologically of of where Elliot is headed emotionally and mentally uh, in terms of his wellness. Uh, I think that there needs to be some level of self-acceptance. And I think that that's going to be the most important thing. But I like your idea of uh, taking all that money and forgiving debt in that way. Uh, yeah, that would that would help uh, if they can find some way to do some sort of mass distribution. Another vote in favor of giving them a week to figure that out, right? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> map out that plan. I don't think that they've had a lot of time to think about like, so what do we do with the money? Uh, you know, like I think... <laughs> pay that man his pay money. Pay that man his money. Uh, I think that they need to figure that out. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm all in on... Uh, let's, let's pick up 410 on December 31st, 2015. Uh, would be a great place to start for me. Well, the wild thing is where the wild things are. The wild thing is if they do buy out debt like you just described, that money will go right back in the hands of the assholes. Uh, so it will be, it will free all the people up in a way that Elliot had meant to do with Five Nine, but it won't reset the playing field in a meaningful way because. The rich people will still have the money since they own all the fucking debt and property anyway. Right. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what happens with this money. And if it does fundamentally change society, um, other than making these people, you know, poor for the moment, was this all their money? Clearly, um, the show wanted us to believe, I think, that a lot of their money or the meaningful chunk of it had been placed in Cyprus National Bank so that it wasn't trackable, so that it was ultimately, um, extra state. It was not something that was directly linked to any state, country, nation, whatever. It was shielded. Um, that's why, because they were doing like manipulative global shit with it, uh, that was outside the bounds of any nation, uh, then it needed to be hidden in that way. It needed to be where it was. And so this is their money that they use to control the world uh, in a way that they could get away with it. So uh, I think that this is a meaningful chunk of most of their money. Uh, if it is Trump, then that means, I don't know. I guess he didn't lose anything. I know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I got a lot of, I got a lot of texts, uh, saying like, what's he even doing there? Like, he's not a 1% of a 1%. Yeah, but he, he was, he was, uh, White Rose's candidate, right? You know, White Rose yeah. wanted Trump in days. Is probably yeah. uh, grooming Trump. Like, hey, come to this really cool party. We've got burgers. Trump's like, ooh, burgers. <laughs> I'm there. I can't wait to get my little hands on. Is Vlad there? Uh, yeah. 
I don't know. They're they're like sliders yeah. in my hands. I don't know. Yeah. Um. I, yeah. So I I just if they redistribute the money in that kind of way, it could end up. I I'm just on the team where I'm not sure if this show usually lets these people uh not win. Like usually these people find sure. a way. Yeah. Whether it's developing eCoin uh, or finding their way back door. I mean, Philip Price and White Rose sort of joke about the hack. Now, this is something else I wanted to get to before we wrap up here. This is the most upset we have ever seen White Rose. Ever. Right? Yes, by far. I mean, White Rose killed somebody in cold blood in public. That is in a very in, in fury. Yeah, yes. that was an, uh, an, an we've seen incredibly like hot headed White Rose before, but that's always been in private. That's like with Grant, you know, <laughs> that's like the right. only witness. This is extreme. This is crazy. Pacing back and forth in the hall, right? Yelling at Sergey on the phone, but like pleading, pleading with Elliot, uh, pleading with Philip Price at, near the end. Like all of this is a White Rose that's spinning out of control. And what I think it means and what, of course, that last scene of the episode means uh, with the ever reminiscent pounding on a door uh, like we have seen throughout Mr. Robot. Um, we are seeing it now with White Rose's house and the Christmas uh, wreaths there. I, I think that means, like you said, that the blue murder gloves are off and that she's liable to do just about anything. I don't know what her end game play is, but she's spinning big time. You mentioned Grant. She doesn't even have her assistant anymore, John. Right. She, That's bad management. She walked out. She walked out. Bad management. Uh, every scene with White Rose this episode is spectacular. I, I don't think that we did enough justice. It's just that, that, that great scene uh, with White Rose on the phone with Elliot. And then no, it's so good because first she's on the phone with Mr. Robot. Yes, 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 on the phone with Mr. Robot, and we're still wondering like, is Elliot even going to show up? Uh, and the music is soaring, and Matt Quayle just top of his game. Uh, and then the reveal of Mr. of of Mr. Robot gone, and it's Elliot on the phone with White Rose, uh, and just like the the Angela theme being baked into the scene. Uh, it's just oh god. The music in this episode, the music in the show is always great, but the music this episode, uh, in particular, uh, some of the best throughout the entire series. It was just, it was just it really, and, and that makes it some of the best on television, period. Uh, really can't say enough about it. Uh, you talked about that music in that scene with White Rose on the phone. Uh, if the music is continuous, like there is a, a music cue that is going throughout that is building the tension. Um, because Mr. Robot is on the phone with White Rose. And so, of course, we've got some music building there. And White Rose is spinning out of control, wanting to meet. And Robot's basically like, you know, really what I needed was to hear your voice. And now that I hear your voice here, I got what I needed. And then White Rose is like, hey, um, maybe we can get a truce here. And then she says, I've got some information for you. The information is about is about Angela. Almost as soon as she says the word Angela, the music subtly shifts. Uh, and so that the the notes are a little warmer. They're a little more soft and sensitive. Uh, the the emotional tone of the scene changes completely just by a subtle shift in the music there as soon as Angela's name is mentioned. And then, of course, White Rose begins her plea, and that's when we see Elliot emerge and the music spikes again. Uh, really just so incredibly well done. Um, and I, I also really loved that throughout the, the course of this uh, show, most of the time, White Rose has referred to Elliot as Mr. Alderson, Mr. Alderson. Uh, and then in that moment when he's making that plea, he says, Elliot, are you there? Uh, and that is what brings Elliot out uh, and the music sting. And it's Elliot saying yes. Uh, I really just that's a such a good scene between that scene. I also really liked what I think was uh, 
a little bit of a flourish based wonder uh, in that the camera did not. I, I think there were a couple hidden edits in uh, going from outside Cipriani's to outside Cipriani's and the other side of the building. Uh, we had a moment be, behind the cocktail waitress's jacket. Uh, and then when the camera came inside the door, I think we we spoofed it there. But just a really cool sweeping shot without an uh, without a noticeable edit uh, as we brought the camera into that building, spun around that whole room, followed a couple of different cocktail waiters or waitresses uh, into the kitchens and down the steps and out the back door. Just some stuff that you just don't see on TV. Like Sam Esmail is crazy and so good at what he does. The crew of this show are so good at what they do. Um, this episode, Sam Esmail breaking uh, his mostly silent Twitter silence here uh, to give credit to Kyle Bradstreet for writing this episode. Just everything about it, uh, as usual, just really well put together. And AJ Mass, your friend and mine, wanted to point out, uh, wanted to make sure we pointed this out as well. Uh, AJ, who loves Mr. Robot, over the moon with this episode. Uh, between He said between Watchmen and Mr. Robot, Sunday was a really good night of TV, and indeed it was. Uh, but AJ had pointed out um, the brilliance of the visual storytelling uh, in this season, but this episode especially, this tonal show shift where instead of having all the characters off center and in the corners of frames as has been the custom Esmail now has the majority of the Elliot and robot shots with them dead center it's a subliminal clue to less attentive viewers that something in Elliot has changed um yeah that's really good brilliant really, really sharp feedback brilliant. AJ there. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, only a few more are left, man. And then, uh, then we got to do this all over again, right? We go back and we go through every episode with everything that we know, and we do the full Robot Road through uh, all, uh, however many episodes of Mister Robot there are. I'm gonna take my horse to the Robot Road. If you're ready? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I think when uh, when we reach the end of the line here on on Mister Robot, it will do a finale show. Uh, and probably a feedback show. And, Just watch the show. And then I got to go on vacay. So I don't know what we do post uh, all of that. Uh, but just a few more weeks here on the Mr. Robot podcast. We're very close. Very close to the end of the line. Listen, we've put other fantastic shows to bed. I'm confident we will do this one justice. I'm confident the show will do well by us and by everyone who has invested the time uh, to continue to keep up with the show. I really love, uh, even though... We um, often record these episodes so that they're up right after the episode. There's, I really love following along with people's live feedback uh, during the episode, just Same. tweeting yeah. about what they're seeing on screen, because uh, this is a great experience watching the, the, these last few episodes of Mr. Robot. The people who stuck with this show, I know, have been rewarded. I'm hopeful that if you're listening to this in the future and you discovered it later, that you've enjoyed it just as much as we all have uh, participating along as this Final season is unfolding here right before our very eyes. It's changing, right? Like, you know, it's kind of, it's it itself it's having an awakening right now. And it's very exciting to see. And these are the 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 final weeks where we are going to be able to watch Mr. Robot in the way that we're watching it now. Pretty soon it is going to be completely different in so many important ways. It's already completely different based on the events of this final season. So with four hours still on the board, who knows how much more dramatically that is going to change. We will be here to chart that transformation along the way. Subscribe to the Mr. Robot podcast feed on Post Show Recaps if you have not done so already. PostShowRecaps.com slash MRRobot iTunes for our Apple feed. You can find us however you get your podcast. You can interact with us on Twitter. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. If you are watching Watchmen, Antonio and I are podcasting about that over at The Hollywood Reporter, the series regular podcast. Uh, we recommend you check that out. Watchmen is also coming in for a landing. I think Watch 
Watchmen will be ending uh, about a week or so before Mr. Robot, maybe two weeks. I'm, I'm a little bit off on the timing right now. Only two more Watchmen remaining. Uh, so Antonio and I are in the process of uh, watching two really excellent shows uh, reach their end point. Assuming there's no Watchmen past season one. That's the threat on the board as it stands. Uh, we have no idea how, how that's going to hold in the, in, the longs, in the long haul here. I really hope that there is more Watchmen on the board. But if it's not, it's been a great It's been season. a ride. Uh, Killer ride. If you are a fan of Mr. Robot not watching Watchmen, uh, go do it. It's just one season so far. You know, you've got, yeah. you've got like seven episodes, something like that to catch up on. Very doable. Highly doable. Very intense. And Very podcast weird. Podcast to help you. Yes, yes, yes. Podcast to help you. So seek out the series regular podcast. Uh, most extraordinary show. <laughs> most extraordinary show indeed. Antonio, anything else before we wrap up? No, I think I'm going to go die now. <laughs> Please don't die. Please don't die. Uh, a very alive Antonio will be back with me next week talking about 410, uh, Mr. Robot. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye. Crookshanks. Crookshanks.